heads up to listeners, this episode contains a contextual conversation about suicide as it pertains to a central figure in the documentary. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary series, American Conspiracy, The Octopus Murders. You know, if he was murdered, it was for a reason. And that would be that his theory was correct. Today, we're talking to filmmaker Zachary Treitz and researcher Christian Hansen. Writer Danny Casolaro believed he'd uncovered a secret organization of political leaders and covert operatives pulling the levers of political power around the globe. He called it the octopus. In 1991, when Danny's body was discovered in a hotel bathtub, authorities called it a suicide. But his friends and family feared he'd been killed to keep the story quiet. In American Conspiracy, The Octopus Murders, filmmakers reopen Danny's investigation and retrace his final days. Was the official narrative about the writer's death a cover-up? And can they link, once and for all, a string of seemingly unconnected crimes to a shadowy group with the power to control the world? And if you think for a minute that you're going to go expose somebody, you're going to get yourself killed. And I'm joined now by Zachary and Christian. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Christian, tell us first how you got interested in Danny Casolaro and the story of the octopus. I, I was looking into um, the private prison industry, and um, hmm. one of the main companies is now called Geo Group, but it used to be called the Wackenut Corporation or Wackenut Corrections. My tendency when I'm researching any topic is figure out where something that I'm interested in came from. You know, what what's the origin of, of this thing? So I start looking into the history of this company, Wackenhut, and I find out that it was not just a private prison company, but before that it was a private security company and it had close ties with the Republican Party and it had close connections to the intelligence world. I find an article from Spy Magazine about Danny Casolaro because he was looking into Wackenut. So that keyword of Wackenut brought that story into my sphere. And I thought that at first I, I hadn't heard of Spy Magazine, which it turns out was an amazing publication, but it was a little before my time. I thought it was Iran Contra fan fiction. Like it took me a while to realize <laughs> that it was actually a true story. And But I'm just, you know, the names are real, the events are real, but I was very unfamiliar with the various scandals that were name-checked in this sort of article about Danny's life and death. And just from there, just got fully uh, immersed in the story. I just got super into it. Yeah, yeah. So, Zachary, my question is, this this thing is so multi-layered, this series. Did you feel like your mission here was primarily to unfold the conspiracy or to cover Christian's fascination with the conspiracy and his journey down the rabbit hole of this story? Yeah, well, I guess a little bit of everything there, but it kind of evolved over time, right? So this started with Christian probably like 
10 or 11 years ago telling me and our other friends about this story and we were all like oh cool like it's that sounds interesting you know danny kessler yeah that sounds mysterious and then it kind of kept growing and growing and he kept on adding more stuff to this and so at a certain point it becomes kind of overwhelming and when we tried to turn it into a documentary which was a multi-year process i think at first it was really just using the inherent fascination with the story you know not necessarily just you know christian's enthusiasm is infectious but the story itself is fascinating and that was what i wanted to pursue with christian seeing that and i think as we went into it the story of christian's research into it became also a part of that because since it's so dense it was nice to see a proxy for our audience to see how you get so deep into this story now, Zachary, as a filmmaker, you have a similar challenge to what Danny had, which is to summarize what this conspiracy is in a way that people can actually understand. Were you worried that that would be a problem for, for viewers of the series? I think we're still worried. We're always worried. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when people I remember like when I would first tell people about the story that, you know, they would be like, yeah, what's the what's the elevator pitch? What's this 30 second version is just like, all right, well, how many hours do you really have? You just yeah. got to like piece it out. That is the challenge that Christian and I both faced throughout this process, and we refined it and refined it with help from our you know, editors and producers and trying to whittle it down to its core components. And I, I hate to make it sound like this is going to be some sort of grueling experience for somebody to watch this like dense, impossible movie. We really tried to make it palatable and interesting and entertaining um, because I thought that that was actually the most important thing to get out of this story was... Danny Casolero, if you look at his notes, if you look at Christian's viewpoint of this, it's entertaining to these people. It's interesting to them. And if you're not interested in it, if our audience isn't interested in it in the same way that we are, then we've really failed the basic test of what's going on here. Well, it is interesting, Zachary. And let me tell you, you can, you can judge and see if like I got it right. So at the risk of oversimplifying, we have a theory of a conspiracy that sort of kicks off with this contract dispute between the government and a software manufacturer. And this opens this world of spyware, contract killings, drug trafficking, international incidents that including a bombing in Laos and election interference after the Iran hostage situation that leads to domestic election interference with the Reagan election. And this is all at the behest of a small group Group of powerful people, including George H.W. Bush and CIA operatives. Um, Christian, is that it in a nutshell? <laughs> that, was, that was really good. Good job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so I do have a question about the filmmaking process. You know, Zachary, in the reenactments, Christian plays Danny Casalero, and there is this incredibly remarkable resemblance between them. Um, can you tell me, first of all, when you realized that? Was it immediate? I mean, did, was it just like something that you always knew? Because I really want to talk about, I want to hear about the editorial choice to do that. Yeah. We kept on talking to members of Danny's family and friends of his, and it really just came from them sitting there with Christian, and they would say like, oh, man. You know, it's just really weird how much you look like Danny. And it was weird if you look at old photographs of Danny and you look at Christian now. And so that was what planted the seed. It wasn't like, oh, like, this will be easy. We got Christian. He looks exactly like Danny. It was. It really just came from the people who knew Danny. And Christian had an interesting story about that. I think before Danny's mom died. I'm 38 now. Danny was 44 yeah. when he died. 
I was 25, 26 when I started working on this story. So I looked a lot less like him then. And the only photos of him that I'd seen were black and white, like pretty grainy online. And and when I had found that article in in Spy Magazine, it was like it didn't have photos in it. It was a version that was just the text. So uh, so anyway, so in, in 2013, I finished this year of like researching it quietly on my own. And then I started like reaching out to people, started talking to Bill Hamilton and started talking to other of Danny's sources and friends and family. And then um, I drove up to Tony Casalero's house and his son answered the door and he said, well, my dad's not home, but you, my mom's home. And she lives in a... Gran- sorry, his grandmother, just to be clear. Right? Oh, his grandmother. Danny's mother. Yeah. And she came to the door and she thought that I was like from a prank show and there were cameras around. She thought that like somebody was dressed like her late son with like a notepad in his hand. Like, wow. So then she invited me into the house and, uh, you know, we, we got to talk for a while and it was great. But it just like that, that moment of her being like really weirded out thinking that I was like trying to impersonate her son was kind of an odd moment. That's that's really incredible. And, you know, there are some moments in the series, honestly, where I, I found myself like confused and it's very disorienting because there are moments, I think, in the series. And I, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, where you're filming things that are happening in the current time frame. But I think you might be dressed for reenactments in the film or, or maybe just like your clothing is very timeless. And I do find myself as a viewer being very disoriented. And you also become very wrapped up in the story. And a lot of your sources are Danny's sources, like Michael Rayconosciuto. And um, I have a question about him. Somebody in the film calls him valuable, but not reliable. Zachary, I'd love your take on this. Yeah, well, this is, you know, this is one of those, like, how many hours do we have kind of questions, but I'll try to make it short. (laughs) You know, when we met Michael originally, we were picking him up from prison he had been there for 26 years and 26 years before that Danny Casalero had visited Michael at the beginning of his prison sentence and so there was this kind of full circle moment that we had and when I met Michael I guess I'm just a natural skeptic at heart I'm a cold-blooded skeptic and I <laughs> I just thought that there were so many things that he was saying that were so outlandish and, and just Either lies or just things that would be impossible to verify. How did this uh, come about? I was a little hesitant to actually get myself involved in all of this. But, uh... What, I, a little scary? Yeah, it's a little scary. Should be a whole lot scary. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. You know, people have second-guessed uh, what I was trying to warn them about, and uh, they all met the same fate. I have to say, getting to know Michael and having gone through the research that Christian's done... It's not that I don't think that Michael is necessarily a liar or tells lies, but more and more things that he said that I thought were completely implausible, this is not everything, but more and more things turned out to be true or more true than not. And that process has been illuminating and very disorienting and strange to go through. Hmm. So as you said, you were there when Michael gets out of prison and Christian, once he gets in the car, he becomes adamant that you have to flee immediately. Can you talk about that? Can you talk about what it was like being with him and his like state of mind of constant, just like still being incredibly afraid of, you know, being in the presence of the authorities? Yeah, no, every I mean, that day, you know, was 
we we see him. We didn't know whether we we're going to find him or not. The prison was giving us the runaround. We finally found him, and we got him in the car. And it was just like, we've got to get out of here. We've got to go. We've got to move. Should we loop around to the passenger unload area? No, no, we got we we got to get out of here. We got to right, get so out of here. We have to figure out which way we're going. Okay, okay. there we go. Good. We got to just get out of here. No, air conditioning? I don't know which way we're going. Yes. I have no GPS. Yeah, well, let's just get out of the area. It's just something is really, really wrong. And we had a, a friend in the car that we came out in, our our dear friend whose birthday it actually was. And I was like, we got to connect with him. Like, he's not going to know where we are. He's like, no, we got to go. We got to go now. We got to go. And that's the way it's been since that point. That was... Uh, I don't even know how long ago that was. That was years ago. And every time I talk to Michael, every time I see Michael, it's always an emergency. He's always on the run. There's always, you know, some issue with whether it's his like mechanic or his friend or his old landlord or somebody either getting the squeeze or just got killed or on the way to getting killed or other times you're just like, you just read about that in the local newspaper and you're you're connecting yourself to it. <laughs> You know, there are questions here. You know, was Danny murdered? Is the octopus conspiracy real? Are all these things related? One of the things you decide to do is hit the road and do some door knocking yourselves. And there's this incredible montage of you guys doing just that, you know, while you're wired up. How long of a span of time, you know, were you on the road trying to talk to people, Zachary? Well, we've been on and off the road doing this for many years. I mean, we picked Michael up in 2017. And we've crisscrossed the country several times, you know, whether it's flying out to meet some random person or driving down the both coasts of the country. It's really hard to say. When I go and try to find some day that we shot something, you know, it's just like unreal how far I have to scroll down of the number of days that we've shot. Just the two of us, you know, I mean, not to mention with full crews and stuff like that. So that's just a difficult question to answer. Yeah, yeah. Christian, do you feel like you got to kind of do the experience that Danny was laying out in his book proposal? You know, he talked about all the places that he needed to go, all the people that he needed to talk to in order to sort of get through this fully. You know, I need to spend two days here, three days here, five. It's an onerous proposal, by the way, the one that he wrote. But you actually did get to do a lot of those things. Do you, do you feel like you were sort of walking in the footsteps that he laid out? Right, but except I had funding from Netflix to right. do all and a team and backup and you know it was a ama- it was the most amazing experience of of my life I think uh, being able yeah. to have the support to figure out what is going on with this obsession that I've had for so long. Yeah. So, Zachary, throughout most of the series, you know, it's clear that Christian's faith is somewhat unshaken. I'm wondering, it sounds like you two weren't always on the same page as what you said you were a born skeptic. Did you feel like he had been you know, pulled into a wormhole and you were sort of on the outside of the wormhole the whole time? Like, how far apart were you guys? Because it sounds like it was a years long process. Did that vary throughout the years? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Sometimes we're in the same phase, but most of the time we're on various other ends of it. I feel like I I look at it kind of like a percentage. When you come down to, you know, the basic questions, right? The basic question, you know, at the heart of this thing is, I I guess, 
did Danny Casolero kill himself or was he murdered by somebody else, right? That's sort of like a bellwether question. I don't think it's necessarily even the most important question, but it's kind of a bellwether question. And I kind of drift over that 50% line often. Sometimes we would drift over it together, swinging back and forth over the course of a day while we were finding new information, you know? What's your takeaway from today? Yeah. About Michael's life, I think that that guy has a lot of problems. And many of them are imposed on him from the outside, and I think some of them are self-created. And it's really hard to parse what is what. When we were furthest apart, you know, I mean, I I think that when, before we even started this project, you know, Christian went into some pretty weird territory. And if you go down this research hole, it gets very esoteric and very strange. And I think that we touch upon the idea in this show of conspiracy and misinformation having its own purpose within the larger framework that we're talking about of kind of criminal and intelligence world, people who are associated with that, operations, and general fans or hangers-on to this stuff. They all have a purpose in the ecosystem of the octopus, and that purpose is extremely hard to figure out. But it's a little aquarium, and everybody's got their little role to play. Yeah. So a lot happens kind of in the back third of the series and especially like in the last 30 minutes and I'll say people who are listening to this episode have watched the series we assume so we're not spoiling anything for them but if you haven't watched the last 30 minutes of the series hit pause right now go watch it and come back after investigating all this time, you track down this woman, this former insurance agency employee named Norma, uh, who you've been told is this key player in the conspiracy. And it's clear that she maybe probably never was. Bill had originally said that you were related to somebody at the CIA. No, never. You didn't have anything to do with the CIA. Nope, nothing. Your husband had been a clandestine services officer at the CIA years earlier. Your husband wasn't this. No. Who's your husband? He's an auto mechanic. Christian, this seems to be like kind of a turning point for you. Maybe you've been led astray all these years. Was this like a real epiphany, this moment? Because it sure looked like it. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, you can see in the car in that scene, I'm, I'm having trouble grappling with it. You know, where Zach says he's like, whatever, this hard boiled skeptic. This whole story, like all of these people are, are insane. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so fucking sad and fucked. I really don't assume people are lying to me all the time, it, especially people that I've known for years. So that was a big moment. That was a big epiphany, um, realizing that some of the things weren't as they were told to me. Yeah. So, Zachary, there is this line of thinking that the government actually loves wild conspiracy theories because they help discredit real conspiracies. You know, Bill Hamilton, Michael Reconosciuto appear to be these so-called web spinners. But Doc Phillips was orchestrating contract killings. Mike Abel was laundering money for the cartel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Could this be an instance where a discredited conspiracy 
is actually covering for, you know, real conspiracies that there are in plain sight. I mean, could this be one of those times where there is all this wild stuff to cover for real stuff? I, I mean, I think that's the core of how I came to see this story, which was the octopus exists almost like its own smokescreen for these people to do criminal acts, essentially. And um, I think a lot of those, in my mind, relate to the drug manufacturing industry. Mm. And some of them relate to the weapons manufacturing and distribution industries. He's talking about the clandestine drug manufacturing industry. Yes, not, yes. <laughs> probably about, not the pharmaceutical. Not maybe big pharma, pharma, yes. I'm not talking about big pharma, but you're next. Um, <laughs> so, and, and, and when I say drug manufacturing, the people that we talk about or allude to these are major, enormous manufacturing operations. It's hard to imagine the scale. And I don't think we co- even really concentrate on that too much because we're covering so much ground. But talking about lots of money, lots of money. Yeah. So, Christian, one of the journalists in the series talks about needing to be deprogrammed, that certain people get drawn into conspiracy and, you know, it's easy to live in that world instead of living in the real world, enjoying your life, just doing your work and then having a regular life. Do you feel like you needed to deprogram yourself or that you still need to deprogram yourself? I definitely needed to deprogram myself. And now I think I've got a pretty good balance where, you know, I went. For instance, I went for a run today and I was listening to a a book called um, The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot about the Dulles brothers and all of the crazy conspiracies they were involved in throughout the Cold War. And I'm still researching and studying and obsessed with the material, but I'm exercising and running and going out, seeing my sisters and uh, seeing my friends. It's good to have a balance. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, we kind of get near to the end of this. And then out of the blue, you know, we learn that this long ago FOIA request that you filed has been granted and you're given access to this box of evidence in Danny's death investigation. I'm curious, Zachary, in your mind, was this story over before you were able to get a look into that box? Um, There's always a question of where do you end this thing, right? Because in many ways, this story inherently has no ending because it's so broad you know you talk about the octopus the tentacles of all these different interconnected political scandals and the intelligence community the criminal world there is no ending to that story that is a story that will likely be going on for a very long time and so you know and with danny's story you get to a certain point when you know we started this with a very clear goal of like we're gonna solve danny's death you know whether it's a murder or suicide Let's just go out there and do it. Nobody's ever done it before, but we're just naive enough to do it. And we kept that throughout, I think, which was actually pretty difficult when there's so many little other places to go down and and rabbit holes. And that's why this took us forever to finish. But at a certain point, yeah, you kind of have to wonder, okay, well, how do I end this if I don't have an ending? You know, how do you do a poetic enough or, you know, where you don't feel like the last... 10 years of Christian's life has been sort of like thrown away on this question. You know, you you sort of get depressed. But I think that when we fought to get that FOIA request fulfilled and we succeeded in that, and that was an early goal of Christian's that I feel proud that we both went after and we both finally had it come through. And it was fascinating information that we learned. 
very unfortunate there there was no physical evidence i think like where we're at now like if there were cigarette butts for instance uh we could have figured out a lot more you know right. it's too bad that there was no physical evidence but there was sort of at real time investigative evidence in there that you know wasn't part of the narrative that had been out there before you open this box and it was like stuff that wasn't in the FBI report that's the note Forensic Science Lab report. This is um, phone records. There's a lot of stuff here. Oh my God. I've never seen this before. Fuck. You know, you discover this eyewitness report of somebody other than Danny entering his hotel room before he died, this composite sketch. Um, Can you talk about that changing the way you looked at the case? Because it certainly changed the way I looked at the case after you opened that box. Yeah, like finding a composite sketch of a guy. And and there was also, I don't think we were able to get into it. There was another bartender who said that there was a man that Danny was with at the Sheridan Hotel Lounge who was, you know, ordering lots of drinks and being rude to the waitress. You know, that's like a very specific and it was like this guy was with this other guy and he was very rude and he was ordering lots of drinks like but then the police say uh ultimately their report Danny was just like wandering around by himself the whole time. Yeah, these discrepancies like I said at the very beginning, it adds to this this soup of intrigue and and it's data that leads me to believe that something might have happened to him other than him committing suicide. Yeah. Zachary, isn't this evidence powerful because this isn't coming from secondhand sources years later? This is brand new evidence, real-time evidence that's kind of untainted by years of conspiracy narrative. Yeah. I mean, you know, Christian and I are not forensic pathologists, right? Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> I'm a guy who likes to make movies and Christian's a, an investigator and a researcher, but when it comes to uh, forensic pathology and things like that, we are never claiming to be experts on that. But as a filmmaker and a investigator by inherently doing this project, I think that what we found, I would phrase it like this. There's an official narrative to what happened to Danny Casalero. And then there's the questions that his family and colleagues and friends have. And those are two very different narratives. I think that the evidence that we uncovered at least punctures a hole in the official narrative that both the local police and the FBI and Department of Justice stated as what happened to Danny Casalero. And the motivations behind that, I think, are unclear and can be debated. And that's fine. But I just think that the evidence that that we have is that there was much more to the story than such a clean and easy and facile explanation that right. the official narrative had. Do you think it would be unfair, Zachary, to also say, though, you know, Danny is a man who, yes, was receiving threats. And, you know, there is all this evidence that he was investigating dangerous people, but he did have this financially devastating balloon payment hanging over his head. You know, he did conclude that his book project was not going to save him. And, you know, he was kind of in a rough place. I mean, it's I don't think it's unreasonable for an investigator to look at this and say this is somebody who was in potentially a despondent place. I mean, there there's reason to that, right? I could be easily swayed. You know, we constantly looked for evidence that could tell you easily like, oh, obviously, like Danny had this problem, X problem. And that meant that he killed himself. 
And that would be nice, I guess, in, in a certain respect in terms of closure, just to have that very clear explanation. And and we wanted that either way, wherever the evidence took us, right? The pressures in Danny's life are real and understandable. And if somebody had omniscience and they could just be like, here's what happened. He committed suicide. Here's why. I would have no problem believing that. But I would really have no problem believing that about, you know, kind of anybody. Suicide is a very complicated topic. And once again, no no sort of expert on it. But I, I remain a very open mind about all of this stuff. Right. And an increasingly open mind, I guess, from the stuff that we've uncovered. So yeah, I mean, there were many pressures in Danny's life. And that's all good and well. But I think that some of the stuff we uncovered, I think of it like this now. It's the old Hamlet quote. There's more, you know, paraphrasing here. There's more on heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamed of in your philosophy. You know, I think about it when I think about the investigators in Martinsburg. I have complete sympathy. You got this guy. There's a suicide note. He's in a bathtub. His wrists are slit. There's the razor. Like, yeah, it would look like a suicide to me as well. I have no problem believing that. If I was the FBI coming in a couple of years later, I got cranky people asking about this guy who died in a bathtub. I would probably be like, uh, all right, let's just like, go, yeah, we'll open up the case and we'll figure it out. Uh, it looks like a suicide. Yeah, it looks like a suicide. But if there are people who go beyond the normal in terms of their manipulations and criminality that are dealing with Danny, who go beyond your philosophy of what's possible, it changes what could have happened in that hotel room. And the people that Danny was dealing with, some of whom we have met, are very strange and in, inhabit a very dark and, from my experience in life, different world than what I was, what, what is in my normal purview. So, Zachary, you know, what do you think ultimately you accomplished making this documentary? We do get actual information out of people. I think we do actually tell the majority or a lot of this story. So I don't want people to feel like, oh, man, this is just one of those things where these guys tried and failed. Like, I really believe that we advanced it enough to where you actually do feel satisfied, hopefully, um, or at least come to a new understanding. And, and and we finished the book that Danny died trying to write. Um, that's, that's what we the, tried that's to do. The bulk of the, that's the bulk of the show is is Danny's book. You know, we bring it to life with the characters really talking in their own words. Anyways. So, Christian, after coming to this slow conclusion near the end of the series that not everything may be as you thought it was as you were doing all of this investigation and all this research, you do agree to meet with Michael again and he promises eventually to reveal all to you but not right then <laughs> once the documentary is in the can <laughs> yeah and i'm curious about you know why end the story there like what does that mean to you christian that that's where it ends well i mean the story is it's still going we're still we're still researching it's not ended also i i like the ending but i didn't um <laughs> I didn't storyboard it. I don't know. Um, Zach came up with that crazy ending at four in the morning or something. Uh, I want to see what you guys get out of it, the leads that I give you. And then when you got your documentary in the can, I'm going to tell you what really went down. Okay? Because you could never put it in a documentary. Well, what am I going to put in the documentary? The leads, what, you know, what happened. 
the other stuff, it gets shot by the by the what? The same guys that killed Danny. But I, I remember that moment with Michael. But honestly, like I've spent so much time with them. Like it's just another thing that he said. Like I've got the videotape. I've got the. I've got footage. I've got uh, photos. I've got the documents, and you never see it. And so yeah, once the documentary is in the can. He's going to tell me the secrets that he wouldn't tell me before when we sat him down for like hours of interviews. Okay, sure. (laughs) He's got my number, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Zachary, why did did you end the story there? I think that it speaks to me on a number of levels of deeper truths of the story, which is that A, it is the never ending story in some ways, which is like, you know, when we get into episode three, Sherry, one of our interview subjects who met a lot of these people, talks about the game. And the game is kind of a never ending, the, one a part of the never ending nature of this of this story, which is that certain people, certain players, as she calls them, Michael is one of those players, are involving you in this evolving game that involves exchange of information, manipulations, lies, truths, all kinds of different layers. And I think that that ending, to me, Michael, as one of the primary players of the game, is the best person to give us the experience of what it feels like to have this carrot that's always dangling right in front of your face, which is essentially the frustration, the Sisyphusian problem of trying to tell this story for both Christian and me is that carrot sitting there and us trying to constantly grab at it. And Michael is somebody who loves dangling a nice carrot in front of us. I thought it was a poetic way to encapsulate. It's a moment that really encapsulates that feeling of, ah, if only I had this one more thing, everything would be explained. Which I think also kind of encapsulates a lot of conspiracy stuff, real or imagined. It's that feeling. And this whole story is essentially a story for me of addiction and an addiction to trying to tell this story that both Christian and eventually I had and a lot of other people who have touched this get that same thing and i think the ending speaks to that as well zachary trites and christian hansen thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk about american conspiracy the octopus murders it was such a fascinating watch thanks so much rebecca thank you so much that's it for this week's episode thanks again to zachary trites and christian hansen for more of my takes check out my other podcast crime writers on Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, TV shows, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening.